great future. We're talking real money. It's free steak dinner season again. Even with COVID, the free steak dinners have returned. I'm just so excited. I get so excited every day. I go out and I check the mail. And in the last few days, I have I have a free steak dinner at uh, Morton's. Ooh. Oh, no, I take that back. That's a free steak lunch. Those tend, those do tend to be less expensive. Uh-huh. Okay, that's a nice one. Then I have this free steak dinner, complimentary dinner event at a restaurant called Ocean Prime. Ooh, pick the date that's best for you. Yes, they are dinner events. How exciting is that? And finally, this one just came today, just a few minutes ago. It is a complimentary lunch event at Bonefish Grill. Now, I like Bonefish. However, I looked and the, the ticket, the ticket, the reserve VIP admission is for 10 a.m., who the heck eats lunch at 10 a.m.? Guys, and what I do when I get these, it's kind of fun, is I look the people up. And generally, they're, no, generally, always, their disclosure stuff is always, eh, not great. And you look up their firms and you see there's, uh, in if they're registered investment advisors, there's a mention in their ADV of the fact that they do sell insurance products, which can be a conflict of interest and interfere with their fiduciary duty to the clients. Yeah, you think? One of them is even, this guy here, a CFP, a Certified Financial Planner. Now, if you read anything that the Certified Financial Planning Board puts out, you'll see that they believe that indexed annuities, which is what all of these guys, they're all guys, are selling, are not compatible with a Certified Financial Planner's fiduciary duty to his clients. They're all guys, so I can say his. This should be something that gets their CFP designation, if not revoked, at least reconsidered. So um, what I'm doing now is is uh, I am filing complaints with the CFP board. I think it's cfp.org or something. Uh, anytime anybody who has a CFP is pitching indexed annuities. Eventually, hopefully, they'll get the message that a lot of their members are as slimy as those who aren't CFPs, and they pretend like all CFPs are acting in your best interest. Listen, CFP board, if any of you are listening to this, you know darn well your members are not always acting in their client's best interest. You should shut a lot of these jokers down. Actually, you should shut them all down because they're doing their clients a disservice. Hey, CFP board, take advantage of this. Go to one of these free lunches and hear the lies, the lies that these people tell. The lies. I know because I've been to many of them. I ask questions like, hey, so what's your commission? Oh, we don't, we don't get, there's no commission. How much do you get paid? Oh, you don't worry about that. The, uh, the insurance company pays us. Is there a surrender charge? Well, see, these are long-term investments. So that's designed to help keep you, it's an incentive to help keep you invested. Baloney. 
Can you tell these things make me mad? We all need to complain after we take them for their free lunch. Actually, I'm not going to because there's COVID. I am not going to go sit in a room with a bunch of people who are taking masks off to scarf down a bite of bang, bang shrimp. If you even get that for free. Doubt you do. Went to one once at Red Lobster. Red Lobster, okay? Now you're thinking, hey, maybe you get lobster. No, no, I got a about a three-quarter inch shoe leather sirloin or a fish stick, basically a fish patty. It was, it was pretty disgusting. So anyway, go to the dinners, but do not, do not, do not take the meeting. Refuse to take the meeting. The pressure will be great. Refuse to take the meeting. Refuse. Now, because I was so obnoxious at one uh, about refusing and encouraging others to refuse, they withheld my dessert. Questions? <laughs> Call 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. You can call that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and leave your question on the answering doohickey. Or you can go to TalkingRealMoney.com and record your question with a little button. We got one of those today. Or type it in. We have several of those. So we might as well just move right along. Let's start with this one. The subject is 401k options. I wrote in before about my high-fee 401k. Next month, my company is moving to a new provider that still has incredibly high fees. I'll have the option of selecting a Fidelity S&P 500 mutual fund, the first indexed option since I opened my 401k, which is the cheapest option, although still way too high, or keeping one of the mutual funds I already have, the American Fund's new perspective fund. My question issue is if I choose the S&P 500 fund, I'll have slightly lower fees, but my international holdings will drop to about 10% of my portfolio. If I keep everything in the new perspectives, I'll have an international allocation more in line with your recommendations, but I'll be paying a higher expense ratio than what I was paying before. I'm leaning into picking the S&P 500 for the indexing and lower fees, but maybe I should prioritize more international than the 10% your advice. Boy, I got to tell you, particularly, and I'm not a timer, but I got to tell you, the area, the S&P 500 has done very well. I think long-term it'll continue to do well. However, the international markets have not done as well. And of course, you know, you generally want to buy what's low, which is why we rebalance from the thing that's done well to the thing that's done poorly. Your company is not giving you that option. Your company, whom, whomever's in charge of making these decisions, is not very good at what they do. They are apparently being guided by a stockbroker. I'm sure of it. Probably who's, you know, a golf buddy or a friend of a friend or a nephew or somebody they go to church with or whatever. But it's it's not a relationship that's good for the, the employees, as this shows. You didn't say whether or not you invest outside of the 401k. One of the most 
effective ways to get low costs and to get diversification is to do both. For example, let's say your 401k doesn't match at all. Well, then maybe you ought to prioritize putting money into a Roth IRA up to the 6000 bucks, and then fund your 401k. And in the Roth IRA, buy only international funds. No load, low fee, international index funds through Fidelity or through Vanguard. Then contribute to your 401k over and above that and use the Fidelity S&P 500 fund. Still not getting small cap. You might want to get that outside later, but that's for later. Um, but that's what I do. I would use what I the best things that I have in the 401k and then use other accounts to fill in around the edges to build out the rest of the portfolio. And if you're if you're not matched, then there's no big advantage to the 401k over a regular IRA or a Roth IRA. There really isn't. The match is the big benefit unless you exceed the limits on the IRAs. Thanks so much for your note. I do truly appreciate it. You can send yours in to TalkingRealMoney.com. That's TalkingRealMoney.com. It is a breeze. And uh, you can also record it, too, which uh, actually sounds pretty good. Kind of, It sounds kind of like this. Is it ever a good idea to take out leverage on your portfolio? Uh, for example, let's say... Uh, you were able to take out a mar margin loan of about 2%, and you could reinvest that loan right back into your broadly diversified portfolio um, in order to enhance your long-term long returns. Would that be a good idea? I, I've, I've never seen margin rates at 2%. I guess if you could get money at 2% and you were a patient investor and you understood that that increases your risk, Sure, just like getting a mortgage, having a mortgage on your home and, and not paying it off so you can continue to invest and have that liquidity, it may not be a terrible idea. I'm not a big fan of, of borrowing specifically to invest, but that said, there's no 2% margin, no, no legitimate 2% margin money out there that I'm aware of. I checked with Schwab, who has one of the lower margin loan rates out there. And depending on the amount of borrowing, their margin rates run from six to the eights. And in those cases, no, getting a, mar uh, getting a margin loan would not make any sense at all. So generally speaking, I'm opposed. I don't think margin is a good idea. The markets are volatile enough without enhancing that volatility. While it enhances it on the upside, it can scare people to death on the downside. That's what I'd like to see most avoid. And, and of course, you wouldn't want to borrow very much even if you could. But I don't think you can do it at two. I don't think you can do it anywhere near two. Thanks so much for the question. 855-935-TALK is the phone number you can call in your questions to, or you can type in your question and send it electronically to me, talkingrealmoney.com. Hit the contact button. Next subject, ETF stock index funds and cold cash. Thanks a bunch for your kind service. Two questions. One, you do say in, quote, simple terms, unquote, an index stock fund is superior to its corresponding ETF. You also say the differences are in the details, including that there's a spread to deal with, with ETFs. 
If I'm a long-term investor who rebalances fewer than twice a year, including forgetting to do so once in a while, how does it, A, how does, how much does it matter? And B, do you still advocate against ETFs? We, we don't advocate against ETFs. It's, it's a, it's a fine line we've got to walk. For example, Vanguard's ETFs, their index ETFs, they're the same as their funds. And the only big issue is if you're moving often and you're dealing with the extra costs, the transaction costs or the spreads, which can eat up some of the reduced fee. Otherwise, hey, the ETFs are fine. We even use a few ETFs in our portfolios. The problem comes with some of the ETFs that are actively managed and with the temptation to treat them as trading vehicles rather than long-term investment vehicles. Plus, there are a few other teeny, teeny, tiny potential advantages to funds. They're not huge. And potential drawbacks to ETFs. Although, again, in a broad index product, it's not something I would really concern myself with. I, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. So, no, we don't advocate against ETFs. Um, we're just not... We really just need to be careful with them because there are still a few potential concerns. Not big ones, little ones. It's all minuscule. Let's go to your second question. Most of the questions you receive and answer involve tax-advantaged accounts. Yes, they do. Huh, you're right. What sort of thinking and planning goes into your team when they're managing taxable accounts, and more importantly, why? Isn't tax harvesting for losers? If so, why should I use your team, who should be in the green on average, in other words, we should be up on average, on a taxable account, who keeps track of the cost basis? When is the one year plus one day so that you can realize the gains with minimal tax? Because of my fear of these tedious bookkeeping requirements, I have stayed away from investing outside tax-advantaged accounts. Perhaps you can do a seminar on taxable money investment smarts one day. Sure, actually, we should. However, there is some serious tax planning that needs to go into non tax-advantaged accounts, taxable accounts. Um, we, For example, we try to, outside of an IRA or a 401k, we try to look for funds that are managed to avoid taxation, where the fund manager actually has. Remember, we don't buy individual stocks, so we don't have to play that game, and we would not play that game. It's impossible to do unless you're you know, really, really stupid rich, and it's not worth it even then. We use mutual funds because they are very efficient financially. And we look for tax advantage, tax managed funds, so that the the manager is looking for opportunities inside the portfolio to sell things that have gone down to offset some gains and then buy them back in 31 days. Use something similar to fill that hole. Uh, Not take short-term gains. Avoid that. They, they have all of the technology to do that. It is easy. So they're really the ones who are keeping track of the one year plus one day. They do not want to distribute capital gains because it goes against what their plan is. As, as a matter of fact, you mentioned ETFs. If you buy an ETF, a growth-oriented ETF, they're not going to distribute capital gains. They will distribute dividends, but they're not going to distribute capital gains, so you're not going to have to worry about that. We, though, in-house manage for that purpose. We do rebalancing. We have sophisticated systems that help us do all of those things. We spend 
tens of thousands of dollars a year on software and systems that allow us to better rebalance, to better tax loss harvest. Because even if you're in the green, you can tax loss harvest to reduce taxation. As I said, you can use a similar security, similar but not identical, to fill the hole while you've sold something because occasionally things go down. You sell them, you fill the hole, you buy them back in 31 days. So there is management that goes into tax taxable accounts. As a matter of fact, there's probably more management there than in the tax-advantaged accounts. Thanks for your note. Thank you all for your notes and your questions that you've called in to 855-935-TALK or that you have sent to me through TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. Go there. Do that anytime you have a question. If your question is more involved, we will help. One of our advisors will help. And as hundreds and hundreds of people have found, you won't get sold anything. There's no high-pressure sales pitch from us. The people who work for us at Vestry know this is part of their job. And they like this part of their job. It's enjoyable helping people. It makes you feel good. And in the end, it actually pays off because if you treat everybody right, they tend to suggest you to their friends. So if you need help with a bigger issue, you're trying to build a portfolio, you're trying to rebalance better, whatever it might be, go to vestory.com, V-E-S-T-O-R-Y.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page. Actually, look at all the stuff in the middle. Fill out the little calendar thing for an appointment. Pick the time that's best for you. We'll talk with you on the phone, via Zoom, or if you want, we have a very scrubbed and masked up employee office you can go to too. But, you know, the Zoom calls are almost as good. I think in some ways they're better. So go set up an appointment at vestory.com or go to talkingrealmoney.com, explore it, go to realinvestingjournal.com, read up on all the stuff we have written there about investing, and please do send in your questions at talkingrealmoney.com or by calling 855-935-TALK. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. I'm Don McDonald. Talking Real Money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately, consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That should keep the lawyers happy.